Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to this Book of Mormon podcast. This is going to be for Ether Chapter 2. So we've gotten the promise from the Lord that the Jaredites will not have their languages confounded and that they're going to be uh, allowed to go to, the, to a new land, which will be the promised land. Verse 1, And it came to pass that Jared and his brother and their families, and also the friends of Jared and his brother and their families, went down into the valley which was northward, and the name of the na valley was Nimrod. Um, speaking about Nimrod, he persuaded them not to ascribe their prosperity to God as if it was through his means that they were happy. Now this is uh, out of the Old Testament, the story of Nimrod. He also said he would be avenged on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again, for that he would build a tower too high for the waters to be able to reach, and that he would avenge himself on God by destroying their forefathers. Now the multitude were very ready to follow the determination of Nimrod and to esteem it a piece of cowardice to submit to God, and they built a tower, and that was by Josephus. Nibley notes that Nimrod was bent on avenging his ancestors' death by engaging God in an archery match and was building the high tower high enough to shoot his arrows into heaven. Good luck with that. Also, in this tower, uh, in this uh, Spiritual, or in this state of spiritual rebellion, the Lord didn't send rain but confusion, hence the meaning of the name Babel in Hebrew. Literally, the Lord changed their language from the unity of Adam's tongue to a jumble of unintelligible speech from which our modern multiplicity of languages stems. Continuing verse 1, being called after the mighty hunter with their flocks, which they had gathered together, male and female of every kind. And they did also lay snares and catch fowls of the air, and they did also prepare a vessel in which they did carry with them the fish of the waters. And they did also carry with them Deseret. It is a Jaredite word or an Adamic word that Mormon was translated for our benefit, which by interpretation is a honeybee. And thus they did carry with them swarms of bees. That would be kind of touchy, wouldn't it? hope they had uh, those, those uh, suits that you wear when you're, when you're a beekeeper. The Jaredites carried hives of bees from Babel into the wilderness for a journey of many years, but there is no mention of bees in the cargo of their ships, a significant omission since our author elsewhere goes out of his way to mention them. The survival of the word bee in the New World, after the bees themselves had been left behind, is a phenomenon having many parallels in the history of language, but the Book of Mormon nowhere mentions bees or honey as existing in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, continuing verse 3, And all manner of that which was upon the face of the land, seeds of every kind. And it came to pass that when they had come down into the valley of Nimrod, the Lord came down and talked with the brother of Jared, and he was in a cloud, and the brother of Jared saw him not. And it came to pass that the Lord commanded them that they should go forth into the wilderness, yea, into that quarter where there never had been man. And it came to pass that the Lord did go before them and did talk with them as he stood in a cloud and gave directions whither they should travel. So I guess they didn't have the Leahona, did they? They just had the Lord kind of telling them which way to go. And it came to pass that they did travel in the wilderness and did build barges in which they did cross many waters. Now these barges are different than the barges that they built before or built afterwards. This is must be crossing some lakes or something or going down rivers or whatever. Not sure exactly they're, what they're doing here, but... Uh, they're, they're building barges uh, that are going to be different than the ones that cross the ocean. 
Hugh Nibley explains that in ancient Asia Minor there were many large bodies of water. Now it is a fact that in ancient times the plains of Asia were covered with many waters which have now disappeared, but are recorded as existing well down into historic times. They were, of course, far more abundant in Jared's time. The steady and continual drying up of the Asiatic heartland since the end of the last ice age is one of the basic facts of history. It is our guess that the Caspian was the sea in the wilderness that the Jaredites had to cross. So that's what Brother Nibley believed, that uh, they were crossing the Caspian Sea. Continuing verse 6, uh, being directed continually by the hand of the Lord. And the Lord would not suffer that they should stop beyond the sea in the wilderness, but he would that they should come forth even unto the land of promise, which was choice above all other lands, which the Lord God had preserved for a righteous people. So they were supposed to not stop on the seashore, but to keep on going. And he had sworn in his wrath unto the brother of Jared that whoso should possess this land of promise from that time henceforth and forever should serve him, the true and only God, or they should be swept off when the fullness of his wrath should come upon them. Notice how many times swept off is mentioned here. I wonder if he's hinting to brother Jared here. And now we can behold the decrees of God concerning this land, that it is a land of promise, and whatsoever nation shall possess it shall serve God, or they shall be swept off. I guess maybe it's a warning to us as well, huh? When the fullness of his wrath shall come upon them, and the fullness of his wrath cometh upon them when they are ripened in iniquity. J. Reuben Clark said that this is a Christian notion being uh, ripened in iniquity. Before before the revolution, it was so in accord with law. Since the revolution, it, was, it has remained so in fact. We, the people of the United States, guarantee full religious freedom to all within our jurisdiction, whether they be non-Christian or pagan, but the nation itself is a Christian nation. Our standards and principles are Christian. Other creeds we protect that all may be free. These facts must never be lost sight of. We are kind of losing sight of that, aren't we? That we're losing track of that we are a Christian a Christian Judea, a Judeo-Christian nation. Verse 10, For behold, this is a land which is choice above all other lands, wherefore he that doth possess it shall serve God, or shall be swept off. For it is the everlasting decree of God, and it is not until the fullness of iniquity among the children of the land that they are swept off. Moroni put the book of Ether in this place within the Book of Mormon to show how another civilization was swept off this continent, like their civilization was swept off, is a warning to us to worship Christ or be swept off this continent. 11. And this cometh unto you, O ye Gentiles, that ye may know the decrees of God, that ye may repent and not continue in your iniquities until the fullness come, that ye may not bring down the fullness of the wrath of God upon you as the inhabitants of the land have hitherto done. Behold, this is a choice land, and whatsoever nation shall possess it shall be free from bondage and from captivity and from all other nations under heaven, if they will but serve the Lord, serve the God of the land, who is Jesus Christ, who hath been manifested by the things which we have written. Joseph Fielding Smith testified that these passages of Scripture from the Book of Mormon are true. This nation is not exempt, and the people, if they continue to pursue the course of evil and ungodliness that they are now treading, shall eventually be punished. If they continue to disregard the warning voice of the Lord, deny their Redeemer, turn from his gospel unto fables and false theories, and rebel against all that he has through his servants in this day, declared for the salvation of man, and if they increase in the practice of iniquity, I want to say to you that if they do these things, the judgments of the Lord will come upon this land, and this nation will not be saved. We will not be spared from war, from famine, from pestilence, and finally from destruction as a nation. Therefore, I call upon the people, not only Latter-day Saints, but to all throughout the whole land, to repent of their sins and to accept the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Redeemer and, our, and the God of this land. 
Turn from your evil ways, repent of your sins, and receive the fullness of the gospel through the waters of baptism and obedience, that the judgments which shall be poured out upon the ungodly may pass you by. Verse 13, And now I proceed with my record, for behold, it came to pass that the Lord did bring Jared and his brethren forth, even to that great sea which divideth the lands. And as they came to the sea, they pitched their tents, and they called the name of the place Moriankamer. Ah, so we do get the name of, of the brother of Jared. Remember that anciently they would name new places after their leader. Um, and so here we have uh, Moriankamer, so this is named after the brother of Jared. And they dwelt in tents, and dwelt in tents upon the seashore for the space of four years. They liked the beach area so much that they didn't want to leave. And I remember that the Lord told them that once they got to this land, they were supposed to then uh, prepare to leave and to go to the promised land. And they don't do it, and they're here for four years. So now we're, brother Jared's going to get into a little bit of trouble. Verse 14, it came to pass at the end of four years that the Lord came again unto the brother of Jared and stood in a cloud and talked with him. And for the space of three hours did the Lord talk with the brother of Jared and chastened him because he remembered not to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, this is a little bit uh, of an overstatement here. Let me explain that. Uh, where it says that he remembered not to call upon the name of the Lord. That's not exactly accurate, but let me show you why. It seems unlikely that a man of the spiritual stature of the brother of Jared, one who had received marvelous manifestations and had previously exercised great faith in the Lord, would suddenly cease praying to his maker. It may be that this, what this verse is saying to us is that Mahanrai was chastened by the Lord because he had not fully followed and implemented the counsels of the Lord previously received. It may be that in, in the relative comfort of the seashore, he had allowed his prayers to become less fervent, more casual and routine. He may have been calling upon the Lord in word, but not in faith and deed. Verse 13 perhaps suggests this. They dwelt in tents upon the seashore for the space of four years. The Lord had taught them and prepared them, but it appears that they had tarried too long, for which the brother of Jared was chastened. The messages and applications of this episode for us today may be twofold. One, that calling upon the Lord is much more than merely saying prayers. President Kimball taught that we ought not to ask a church leader for advice, then disregard it. We must never ask the Lord for blessings, then ignore the answer. Calling upon the Lord requires not only frequently or frequency and fervency of prayer, but also action, commitment to do what the Lord commands and to implement his counsel promptly. Two, from the Lord's chastening the brother of Jared, we, we also see the danger of pausing too long in one place when we need to be moving forward, onward, and upward. Perhaps it was fear of the long ocean journey, complacency created by the comforts of the seashore, or the natural tendency to want to be commanded in all things that caused them to delay their journey. Whatever the reason, the Lord desired them, as he desires us, to press forward. Perhaps the Lord was chastening the brother of Jared in much the same way as President Kimball chastened the prodded and prodded the church when he said, We have paused on some plateaus long enough. Let us resume our journey forward and upward. Let us quietly put an end to our reluctance to reach out to others, whether in our own families, wards, or neighborhoods. We have been diverted at times from fundamentals on which we must now focus in order to move forward as a person or as a people. Verse 15, And the brother of Jared repented of the evil which he had done, and did call upon the name of the Lord for his brethren who were with him. And the Lord said unto him, I will forgive thee and thy brethren of their sins, but thou shalt not sin any more. President Kimball taught that the transgressor is not fully repentant, who neglects his tithing, misses his meetings, breaks the Sabbath, fails in his family prayers, does not sustain the authorities of the church, breaks the word of wisdom, does not love the Lord nor his fellow men. 
a reforming adulterer who drinks or curses is not repentant. The repenting burglar who has sex play is not ready for forgiveness. God cannot forgive unless the transgressor shows a true repentance which spreads to all areas of his life. So when he tells us in verse 15, sin not anymore, he means not any sin anymore. Continuing verse 15, For ye shall remember that my spirit will not always strive with man. Wherefore, if ye will sin until ye are fully ripe, ye shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. And these are my thoughts upon the land which I shall give unto you, which I shall give you for your inheritance. For it shall be a land choice above all other lands. And the Lord said, Go to work and build after the manner of barges which ye have hitherto built. And, to, and it came to pass that the brother of Jared did go to work, and also his brethren, and built barges after the manner which they had built, according to the instructions of the Lord. And they were small, and they were light upon the water, even like unto the lightness of a fowl upon the water. So I want you to notice in the, this verse how many times this uh, phrase is mentioned about how these barges were built. Uh, and you tell me uh, if you think that they might, might be waterproof. Verse 17, And they were built after a manner which they were exceedingly tight, now this is uh, also like Noah's Ark. Um, alrighty, let's uh, let's keep going here. Um, I'm going to start over in verse 17. And they were built after a manner that they were exceedingly tight, even that they were that they would hold water tight like a di like unto a dish, and the bottom thereof was tight like unto a dish, and the sides thereof were tight like unto a dish. And the ends thereof were peaked, and the top thereof was tight like unto a dish, and the length thereof was the length of a tree, and the door thereof, when it was shut, was tight like unto a dish. Uh, so it sounds like they were probably tight like a dish, wouldn't you think? The Lord has also prepared us to withstand trials. We are the barges. We are tight like a dish to get through the storms of life. And notice that as, uh, as the brother of Jared is told here that they're going to have storms, so are we. Uh, but that they've been prepared to withstand the storms, just like we have. And it came to pass that the brother of Jared cried unto the Lord, saying, O Lord, I have performed the work which thou hast commanded me, and I have made the barges according as thou hast directed me. And behold, O Lord, in them there is no light, whither shall we steer, and also we shall perish, for in them we cannot breathe, save it is the air which is in them, therefore we shall perish. And the Lord said unto the brother of Jared, the Lord solves, so he's going to solve the air problem for him. He says, Behold, thou shalt make a hole in the top and also in the bottom. And when thou shalt suffer for air, thou shalt unstop the hole and receive air. And if it so be that the water come in upon thee, behold, ye shall stop the hole that ye may not perish in the flood. That's good counsel, isn't it? As soon as the water starts coming in, make sure it doesn't. Uh, A.L. Zobel said, After the hole is made, it is seen that water will come into the boat. A tube is built from the bottom to the top of the barge, housing in both holes completely. Now we have a funnel right through the boat. Water can come into the tube as high as the water line of the vessel. The model of the barge we have built has a stop hole both in front and in the back of the tube, just as the top of the second deck, the living quarters of man and animals. The hold, or bottom, is the place where flood water and seed of every kind are stored. I'm sorry, where food water and seed of every kind are stored. These stop holes can easily be opened or closed as needed. The purpose of the bottom hole is at least twofold. First, it acted as a stabilizer to keep the barge at an even keel. Second, it could be used to get rid of refuse. As a third function, it may also have aided in inducing the circulation of air when the barges were tossed upon the waves, whereby air would be sucked in and forced out again through the tube. 
Verse 21, And it came to pass that the brother of Jared did so, according as the Lord had commanded. And he cried again unto the Lord, saying, O Lord, behold, I have done even as thou hast commanded me, and I have prepared the vessels for my people, and behold, there is no light in them. Behold, O Lord, wilt thou suffer that we shall cross this great water in darkness? And the Lord said unto the brother of Jared, What will ye that I should do, that ye may have light in your vessels? For behold, ye cannot have windows. Uh, brother Nibley said, uh, this would make the invention of glass far older than anyone dreamed. It would until it was until the recent finding of such objects as Egyptian glass beads from the end of the third millennium BC. We need not be surprised if the occurrences of glass objects before the 16th century BC are few and far between, for glass rots like wood, and it is a wonder that any of us at all that any of it at all survives from remote antiquity. There is all the difference in the world, moreover, between few glass objects and none at all. Uh, Robert Matthews said that uh, in 1993 reports that the most reliable research places the invention of glass sometime in the third millennium before the birth of Christ in Mesopotamia or present-day Iraq and Syria. And further, the earliest known glassmakers worked in Mesopotamia as far back as 2500 BC, crafting beads and other small objects to imitate precious stones. Mesopotamia is the general area and the date of 2500 BC indicates that glass may have been made as much as 300 years before the Tower of Babel and thus substantiates the story of the brother of Jared. Continuing verse 23, For they will be dashed in pieces, neither shall ye take fire with you, for ye shall not go by the light of fire. For behold, ye shall be as a whale in the midst of the sea, for the mountain waves shall dash upon you. Nevertheless, I will bring you up again out of the depths of the sea, for the winds have gone forth out of my mouth, and also the rains and the floods have I sent. Have I sent forth? He nibbly said, The Lord explained why it would be necessary to build such peculiar vessels, because he was about to loose winds of incredible violence that would make the crossing a frightful ordeal at best. Any windows, he warns, will be dashed to pieces. Fire will be out of the question. There was no, there was no normal crossing and no brief passing storm. Uh, it is perfectly clear from our account that the party was to spend a good deal of time below the surface of the ocean, below the surface of the water. Uh, verse 25, And behold, I prepare you against these things, for ye cannot cross this great deep, save I prepare you against the waves of the sea, and the winds which have gone forth, and the floods which shall come. God has prepared each of us, as we come to this second estate, to be prepared to withstand the afflictions and storms of our lives. Therefore, what will ye that I should prepare for you? Now, Noah had already solved this problem by having um, uh, having a stone that shone in the dark in the ark so that the brother of Jared is going to try to have God touch the stones like the stone uh, that Noah used. If you look back in uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 16, you'll notice that there's a footnote uh, for the word light uh, or window, and it says Hebrew sohar. Some rabbis believed it was a precious stone that shone in the ark. And so this may be where uh, the brother of Jared gets the idea uh, that uh, maybe if, if God could touch a stone and then we would have enough light in the boat. Uh, continuing verse 25, that ye may have light uh, when ye are swallowed up in the depths of the sea. Uh, Noah had already received a stone. And so Harold B. Lee said, then the Lord went away and left him alone. So this was up to Jared now to figure this out. How are we going to get light in the boat? So if he's, if he's read the account of Noah and he got the idea of a stone that would shine in the darkness, then maybe he's, he's molting out these rocks uh, to get light so that God, if he touches them, would, would create the light. Uh, so 
brother, um, then the Lord went away and left him alone. It was as though, this is uh, Harold B. Lee said, it, it was as though the Lord were saying to him, look, I gave you a mind to think with, and I gave you agency to use it. Now all you now you, you do all you can to help yourself with this problem. And then after you've done all you can, I'll step in to help you. This is the principle in action. If you want the blessing, don't just kneel down and pray about it. Prepare yourselves in every conceivable way you can in order to make yourselves worthy to receive the blessing you seek. When we are situated that we cannot get anything to help ourselves, then we may call upon the Lord and his servants who can do all. But it is our duty to do what we can within our own power. That is a tremendous principle. In order to teach young people how to approach the Lord and how to prepare to receive what the Lord has promised for those who are faithful, we must teach them these fundamental steps. After Moroni had read this great experience of the brother of Jared, he added, Therefore, dispute not because ye see not, for ye receive no witness until after the trial of your faith. What is doctrinally significant about these verses is not so much the content of the Lord's instructions concerning the shape of the barges, the means whereby oxygen was made available, or the lighting of the interior, but rather the process whereby the brother of Jared came to acquire this important information. What will ye that I should do was the Lord's response to the brother of Jared's prayerful petitions that outlined the group's predicament and their special needs. Implicit in the Lord's question is the Lord's expectation. He expects Maury Ankimer and expects each of us as well to use his intellect and his common sense as he seeks solutions to his problems. Oliver Cowdery learned this lesson the hard way when the Lord told him that he could not translate because he had erroneously assumed that he would grant him his desires merely for the asking. It may be that we approach our prayers the same way Oliver did. It may be that all too often, when we are praying about our problems and our own unique needs, the Father may be saying to us, what will, ye, what will ye that I should do? We may be forfeiting greater personal revelation and inspired instructions from the Lord because expecting the Lord to do all the work. We give no serious study or thought to the solutions, but merely ask. Receiving revelation is often a strenuous endeavor that requires intellectual effort coupled with faith and spiritual yearning. So these are, this is a wonderful instruction for us as we uh, try to understand better the principles of the gospel. And I bear testimony that these things are true, that uh, this is uh, translated material, and that we have been prepared to go through the storms of life because we are tight like a dish too. I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time.